<coughs> we're starting a new series today. It's called Follow. Uh, we decided a few months ago that we're going to go through the entire book of Luke. And the next section we're going to tackle is going to be Luke chapter 6 and chapter 7. And that section we're going to call Follow. So you're at the beginning of a series. It's a good time to join us because then I don't have to catch you up on anything. <coughs> so, uh, new series. Are you guys excited about a new series? Okay, okay, okay. So, um, a few days ago in my life group, one of the people in my life group said, hey, there's this interesting show, it's called Living Biblically, and I'm like, oh, um, I heard of that, I haven't seen it, but I read a book that was something similar to that, and I want to share with you that book. It's called Year of Living Biblically. Have you heard of this? So there's a guy, his name is A.J. Jacobs, he's uh, a contributor to, I think, Esquire magazine. That's, I think that's what it was, yeah, and uh, what he did was, he, well, he, he, he's not a religious person. Uh, he has Jewish descent, but he said he's not Jewish at all. Uh, he doesn't practice it at all. Um, but he decided that he's going to immerse himself in this whole idea of living biblically, like literally. So he did everything that he could. I want to show you a picture of the guy. Um, this is what he looks like. <clears throat> and then for one year, he decided to take all the laws that you find in the Bible and live according to it, right? And so there's this one law that says you're not to cut the corner of your beard, and he didn't know what the corner was, so he just decided to let it out. So this is what he ended up looking like. This is him. Um, he said this is a picture of him hailing for a cab. And so he, uh, he, wa- he walked around basically trying not to break any laws in the Bible, right? <laughs> and um, one time, well, he was reading the scriptures, and he's, there's this one passage that said that you're supposed to stone adulterers. And so he said that he didn't know how to find one, so he always had small, he didn't have big rocks, but he had pebbles in his pocket just in case. And then he was at a park in New York, and then one day somebody came up to him and said, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm glad you're asking me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this thing, and it's an experiment, you know, living biblically for a whole year. And, and he's like, oh, what about that thing about adulterers? And he's like, I'm glad you asked. And he pulled out his little pebbles and put it out. And the, this man he's talking to, he's in his 70s, he said, He's like, well, I'm an adulterer. He's like, really, got he got really excited, right? He's like, oh, okay, right? And the guy who was talking to a 70-year-old man got so offended that he grabbed the pebbles out of his hand and threw it at him, at him, right? <coughs> and then he reminded, remembered another passage in the Bible that says, eye for an eye cheek, you know. So he was like, okay, I can revenge. So he takes it and he threw it back at him. And <coughs> he said it was a very interesting um, experience. Uh, he said that his wife didn't like this experiment too much. Um, there's a law in the Bible that says that you're not supposed to sit on a seat that a woman who was having her period is, you know. So the, mo- the wife got so angry that she sat in every chair in the house. <laughs> so he said that he had to buy one of those portable chairs that he walked around with because there's nowhere else to sit. <clears throat> now the problem with this experiment, okay, is that he wasn't looking for the meaning behind, like why did God, he didn't ask the questions like, you know, like why is this in the Bible? He just thought, you know, it'll be interesting just to try it out and see how things turn out. And he tried to take everything as literal as possible. There's over 600 laws. He said he found 700. So he tried to follow all 700 and he said it was extremely difficult. He had some good experiences. He said that he learned to be more like happy in life. He said that he found a way to be more grateful towards things that he always took for granted. But he also said there were things that drove him crazy and made him look awkward like that picture right there. (coughs) But anyways, I want to ask this one question today, okay, because this is something that I'm sure at one point, if, you, if it's your first time at church or somebody invited you to church or have been here for a while, I'm sure this one question has come through your mind at least once, and if not, it's going to run through your mind today, which is this. Why did God give us rules? And if you're religious, we'll call those laws. Why did God give us laws? Like the Ten Commandments are considered rules or laws. 
Why did God give us these rules, right? And, and the reason why I said that, whether if you're a Christian or not, you thought of this, is because I was, you know, until the end of high school, I've never, you know, I, I was not a Christian, okay? And I remember people inviting me to church, and the first thing that I thought was, I don't want to be a part of a group of people that is restricted from doing certain things. Like, for example, if I'm having a good time, it's always that Christian that walks into that party that says, uh-uh, uh that's a sin. And I'm like, oh, come on, I was having fun, right? Or you say certain words and like, ah, uh, you can't use those words. Like, whoa, whoa, what, what, now you're restricting my speech? You know, like, <clears throat> and so I always try to answer this question, like, why would God give us these rules? And the first answer that would come to mind, this is like years ago, was this, which is, oh, God's trying to ruin my fun. Why did God give us rules? So he makes sure that we don't have fun, you know, right? But <clears throat> I had to look deeper into it. Why would God give us rules? Like in the Old Testament, I've discovered there's things, these things called dietary laws. There's certain foods you can't eat and certain foods you are allowed to eat, right? And then you think, oh, maybe what God is trying to do is he's trying to prevent humanity from going to chaos mode. So God gave us these laws, these rules, so that everything stays in order, but then you're like, but the food laws really don't really contribute to that mission, you know? Or, or, or there's this law that says you're not allowed to wear anything that's cotton and wool together. You have to keep them separate. And like, how does that prevent us from experiencing chaos, right? So you're like, what is the whole purpose of this? There's a law in the Bible that says Sabbath. Like, on a Saturday, you're not supposed to work. Why did he give us that? What's wrong with making extra few bucks on a Saturday, right? I mean, come on. W w what's up, God? Why did you give us these rules? And the reason why this the answering this question is so important, okay, is because how you answer this question will eventually demonstrate for us who you believe God to be. Because if you think that the reason that God gives us, gives us these rules is so that we don't have too much fun in life, then that is a reflection of who God is. God is a God that doesn't enjoy fun, right? Or if God is like, trying to control every little area of our lives, then that's who your God is. God is a control freak, right? Like, he's, he's a helicopter dad, mom, you know? Like, it's, it's like, how you answer this question inevitably eventually answers the question, who is God? This is why it's so important to answer this question. So who is God? Why did God give us these rules? Well, it turns out, we're going to look at a section of chapter Luke, the first 11 verses, where it actually demonstrates for us who Jesus believed his father God to be, okay, and how the people around him believed what God to be, just by answering this question. Okay, so let's take a look at Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> We're going to start from verse 1. This is how it starts. One Sabbath, that's a Saturday, the day you're not supposed to work, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Now, at this point, Jesus has about maybe four or five, we don't know exactly how many disciples, it's greater than three, less than 12, somewhere in between, right? And, and as they're walking through these fields, not his own field, somebody else's fields, they see some grain and the disciples are hungry, so they grab some and they do this kernel thing. I don't know, I've never done it before. And they start popping kernels in their mouths, right? And apparently there's something wrong with this picture. And if you're thinking, oh, they're going through somebody else's field, that must be the part that's wrong. That's actually not wrong. That was okay. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says it's okay to do that. So they're not breaking any rules there. But the fact is that the problem that they have right here is that they're doing it on a Sabbath. And we'll talk about that in a second. Next verse. <coughs> Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So Pharisees are these religious people who are trying to stump Jesus because they're, Jesus is making them look bad. They're actually making themselves look bad, but they like to blame Jesus for it. Okay, so, so here are these Pharisees who are looking for Jesus to mess up. 
and they think they see him mess up because the disciples are eating something from, a, from the grain fields on a Saturday. Now, why is this a bad thing? So there's this one command in the Bible that says you're not supposed to work on a Saturday. You're supposed to, you're supposed to rest. Okay, so that's, that's pretty straightforward. Except for these people, it wasn't that straightforward because they had to ask themselves, well, what, what constitutes as work, right? So it's, it's like, for example, they had this rule that you could spit on a Saturday, but if you spit in sand or dust, it turns into mud. And if you take something that is dry, like dust, and it turns into mud, you created something, and that's considered work, so you're not allowed to spit on the ground on a Saturday. That was one of the rules. So they started making this long list of things what con- constitutes as work and what wasn't work. For example, if you like to go on those long walks on the beach, that's okay, right? Because that's not work. But after a while, you get tired, and you realize, gosh, I have to walk all the way back to my car. That feels like work, doesn't it? So these people made a rule that says you're allowed to take a certain amount of steps away from your home, and if you go beyond that, then that's work. By the way, there are ways to get around this. Some people would take a piece of rock that was lying in their home, and they will walk a certain amount of steps and put it down and say, this is my new home, and they'll walk from there. So there's ways around these things, but they made these, no, I'm not kidding, this is true. This is what they did back then. <clears throat> so they have a list of things that you can do on a Sabbath, a list of things you can't do. When you are creating something, that's considered work. They took something like from a grain that wasn't food, and they made it into something that's edible, and that was considered work. So this was the, the big thing that the Pharisees saw. They were like, whoa, you could do what you're doing, but if you're doing it on a Saturday, that's not cool. It's like, oh, I can't believe you're working on a Saturday. Oh, oh, oh God is so uh, disgusted by this. Oh, oh, Jesus, how could you? This is so wrong. <clears throat> and Jesus is like, seriously? This is how you interpret the law of Sabbath? This is Jesus' response. Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Now, this is kind of offensive in one part. One part is, when he starts off the answer by saying, Have you read? And we're talking to people who, that's all they do. They just read the Bible, right? It's kind of offensive, right? So he's like, Have you not read the Bible? (laughs) I'm like, What? Right? So have you never read the story about David when he and his companions, when he and his men were hungry? It's like, go on, Jesus. Okay, next verse. <clears throat> he entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, we'll get to that in a second, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Now, <clears throat> in case you're like, what is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is telling a story about a guy named David. David was the greatest person that's ever lived up to the time of Jesus in Israel history. If you want to learn more about this, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 21, but I'll give you a quick, um, 1 Samuel chapter 21, there we go. I'll give you a quick recap of what happened here. Okay, so Israel is a brand new country. It just started, like fresh, fresh new country, right? Okay, and these, the people in Israel, they're looking to the north, to the east, and to the south. To the west is the Mediterranean Sea, so there's nothing there. So they looked around, and they said, every nation around us has a king. We want a king. We want to be a great nation. Let's, let's get a king. And God's like, oh, you really want a king? He's like, yes, we want a king. So they elect a guy named Saul to be their first king, the first king of Israel, King Saul. And he was an okay king. He was doing a pretty good job until this jealousy thing happened. And let me explain that, okay? While the people elected Saul to be the king, God had his own idea of who should be king. His name was David, and at the time he was a little teenager. So God sent one of his prophets to David and said, David, you're going to be the next king of Israel. You're going to be the greatest king. As a matter of fact, Israel is never going to see a better king than you when you are at your, your, at your epitome, at, at, at the peak of your, of your, of your kingdom 
ride, whatever you're doing. Okay, so he's like, when you're a king, Israel's going to be great. Now, in those days, if you want to be king and somebody's already on the throne, you have to overthrow the king, right? But God's like, but that's not how you're going to take the throne because that's wrong. You're not going to kill anybody to get this throne, okay? So just wait your turn, and when you become king, it's going to be great. Now, Saul hears about this, and Saul's like, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy because he might be a threat to my throne. Now, as he starts to see David grow, he starts to see that everything that he does is successful. So he starts to send him away on these missions, like these, these, these trips where he knows that his life would be on the line, and he comes back victoriously. He get, makes these crazy things like, uh, I want you to go and, and, and slaughter these people and bring back their foreskin. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's no way David's going to be able to do that. And he comes back, and he does even better than that, right? So, so every time that Saul tries to throw him under the bus, David comes out more strong and more popular to a point where there's a whole town of people who are chanting his name, David, David, David. And Saul is starting to feel even more insecure. Like, oh, oh, this is not good. So he decided at one point, I need to kill this kid if I want to keep my throne to myself and to my son and so forth, right? So he's like, what, what can I do? So he tries to kill David. David has no idea that Saul's trying to kill him. But eventually he gets the hint. It's like, oh, maybe he's trying to kill me. So he decides to run off. And as he ran off, there's a few people who fought wars with him who are like, I know Saul's my king, but I believe in what David's doing. So they follow David. So David and 30 plus men, they take off and they become fugitives. Okay, so are you guys following right now? King Saul, David a fugitive, okay? And these people who are following David, they're loyal. So if David goes into the cave, they'll go into the cave with him. If they go into the desert, they'll go to the desert with him. If he goes somewhere else, they'll go to that somewhere else with him because they're like, David is the real deal. I can't wait until he becomes king because when he becomes king, Israel is going to rock, right? So we can't wait until Saul ends his time. Can't wait for David to become the new king. Now, as they're on this journey running away from King Saul and, you know, save their own lives, they eventually get hungry like everybody else in the world. We all get hungry. And so they're looking around for food and they see this priest. And they're like, oh, there's a priest. Let's ask him for food. So he goes to the priest and the priest has a tabernacle, meaning there's, you know, all these religious symbols and relics and stuff like that. He looks around and he says, we're hungry. Priest is like, you're hungry. You want bread? Okay, let me look around. He's looking around and he only sees one loaf of bread that's actually sitting on the altar because this is a special kind of bread. This bread can only be touched by the priest. David ain't a priest. Priest is a priest. David isn't, okay? So looking around, he's like, there's a law in the Bible that says that this bread can only be touched by me, can only be eaten by me. What does he do? The priest takes the bread, breaks it, and gives it to David and his men because they were hungry. Now, in that story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, it doesn't tell you why the priest broke the rules. It doesn't say why he, like, why was he justified in doing that? It doesn't say why. But in the consequent years, these scholars, they started thinking like, well, he did something right even though he broke the rules, so how do we justify that? And so they started discussing, and they came up with this one answer. They're like, how could we justify this priest breaking the law of God? They're like, this must be the answer. So this is what they came up with. David was a special case. He and his followers were creating a new Israel. Like, God is trying to create this awesome kingdom, and the thing that's holding us back from actually seeing that, to be realized, is that David and his men are hungry. So the priest was able to say, you know what, this one time I'm willing to break the rules because I feel like I'm following the heart of God rather than the laws of God. Sometimes the rules of God and the heart of God don't match. And in this case, 
in the Old Testament, nonetheless, right? In the Old Testament, we have one example here where the priest thought, this one time, I think it's okay to break the rules of God because I think the heart behind this rule matches what I'm about to do right now. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain field on a Saturday. They're eating stuff because they're hungry. And the Pharisees are like, why are you doing this? This isn't right. What, 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 this, is, this is breaking the rules. And Jesus is like, well, let me tell you a story about King David and his men. He tells this story. What is Jesus trying to tell them? Jesus is telling them this, that Jesus is a special case because he and his disciples are creating a new world. He's a new creation. He says, God is about to create this amazing thing in this world, this whole thing that's going to change the entire world for the years to come, right? Yeah. And he says, and my men are hungry. He says, if you think David was a special case, check me out. I am the son of God. I think I know what I'm doing. I know the heart of my father. I know why the law is there in the first place. And let me tell you right now, what I'm doing right now with my disciples fall right in line with what my father, my heavenly father is trying to accomplish here. So in your eyes, it looks like I'm breaking the Sabbath law, but from my eyes, I'm actually doing exactly what God wants me to do. And to top it off, Jesus ends this time by saying this. He says, the, Jesus said to them, the son of man, that's a title he gave himself, I am the son of man. You know, Jesus is like, I and the Lord of the Sabbath. What he's saying is, I know why the Sabbath was given to us. If you want me, if you want me to explain to you why it's okay for me to break this rule, well, let me tell you, I don't, in my mind, I'm not breaking this rule. Because the Sabbath was given to us so that we could benefit from it. In a world where we were all slaves and we had to work seven days a week, to have that one day off was a big deal. God gave us a Sabbath so that we could be rejuvenated, so we could be relaxed, but instead, you, Pharisees, you took this law that was meant to be for our benefit and made it into a burden. You're following the letter of the law. The law says you're supposed to not work on this day. And it's actually accomplishing the exact opposite. You're stressing people out on the day you're supposed to be relaxing. So Jesus is like, I can't believe it. You guys studied the Bible all the time and you missed the heart of God. You got the law thing down, but you missed the whole point of why God gave us these rules. Now, Luke, he jumps us ahead to another incident that happened on a Saturday because he thinks that this next story is going to help clarify what he's trying, really trying to say. So next verse. On, on another Sabbath, he went into a synagogue and was teaching, as Jesus usually did, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. And the word there for shrivel means withered. We're not exactly sure what condition it is. The only thing you need to know is that his right hand, he, it was, you couldn't use it, okay? <clears throat> the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Surprise, surprise. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, let me give you a little insight as to what the law, you know, how they understood the law of Sabbath for healing. They understood that healing was not allowed to happen on a Sabbath because it requires you to touch somebody and change a state from one, be one state to another, right? So if you were sick, you're not sick anymore, you use your hands, that's work. Unless it was something that can't wait. For example, if you're about to give birth, you can't say today's a Saturday, you're going to wait until Sunday. You can't do that back then or ever, I guess, right? So... So in those cases, it was okay. If somebody was dying and you knew that you could fix this person just like that and save that person's life, that was permitted. A person with a shriveled hand, that person's life is not in danger. That could wait until the next day. It could wait until Sunday, okay? So, so the Pharisees are like, Jesus somebody in need. He doesn't have to heal him today. He can heal him tomorrow. So let's watch him mess up. That, that's the setting here, okay? <clears throat> 
Let's see what Jesus does. But Jesus knew that they were thinking, of what they were thinking, like they're trying to make, watch me mess up, and said to the man with the shoveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Now the room is silent. What is Jesus going to do? If Jesus claims to be love, right, then he's going to heal him. But if he does that, he's breaking God's law. So I'll <laughs> be well, gone either way. If he doesn't heal him, right, then, then he's not love, right? But if he does heal him, then he's working on a Sabbath. Oh, <laughs> we got him good. Pharisees, like, air five, right? They're high, fighting each other. Okay. Jesus, before he does something, he actually looks to the people who are trying to accuse him, and he gives them this simple lesson, which is super profound. And this gets us to the bottom of this whole debate, okay? This is what he says. Jesus said to them, I ask you, religious people, which is lawful for the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or destroy it? What he's saying is, why did God give you rules? Is it so that we could accomplish good things or bad things? What is the purpose of why God gives us rules? He's asking, behind all these 600 plus rules, what is the heart behind it? Maybe another way that Jesus could have worded this is this. Do you believe that God is good? If there's a being out there that's greater than everything in the world combined, right, and he gave us human beings rules to live by, right, why did he give it to us in the first place? Did he do it so that he could be a dictator? So he's like, I rule this world. You do as I say. You do as I say. You do as I say, and I won't flood the world anymore. (laughs) Is that God? Or, or, or is he a tyrant? Or maybe he's apathetic. He's like, I'm just going to give him these rules. I'm going to sit back and watch them mess up. Is that who God is? It's like, why did God give us these rules in the first place? Now, before we answer that, I want to show you how the story ends because this is really cool. Because remember, healing somebody on the Sabbath is work, okay? Especially if you use your hands. This is what Jesus does. He looked around at all of them because they didn't have an answer for him and then said to the man, said to the man, use words, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus healed him without touching him, so he didn't really break the rules, right? So this is like, this is like, moment, you know, it's, it's, okay. <laughs> okay, now at this point, this Pharisees react to this. They're like, okay, he got us. He didn't use his hand, so it's not technically work, but he also healed, oh, goodness, okay. So this is what the Pharisees do in response. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious, and this is interesting because when you see somebody get healed, praising God, saying, yay, I'm healed, I'm okay now, that's, uh, last time I checked, that's a good thing, right? That we should be saying yay with him. <laughs> but here we have a group of people who are furious at the fact that somebody was healed. And so Luke here in the story is trying to paint for us a picture of this really awkward sense of humanity now. Like, these people are so evil in their hearts that they can't even rejoice when something good happens, okay? So he's like, They got furious, and what did they do? They began to discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. And by the way, in their book, that's considered work. So they started working on their own. (laughs) They they broke their own rule. Okay, so this is kind of comical back then. Not too funny now. Okay. (laughs) Okay, but Jesus is trying to point something out, a flaw in their system. Okay, and and it's the same lesson that I think he's trying to teach us today, which is this. We inevitably take on the image of whoever we follow. You see, if you ask the Pharisees, why did God give us these rules? Who do you think God is? Do you believe that God is good? Their answer would be, I think God gave us these rules to punish and to reward people based on how well they could follow my rules. That's why God gave us these rules, they would say. 
Not only that, God gave us these rules so that he could look through the crowd of people and say, oh, these people I like to put favor on. These people I don't want to put favor on because they can't follow my rules. And sadly enough, I think in a lot of Christian circles today, even today, that's how we view God, that God gave us these rules so that he could weed out the people who are willing to you know, be on their best behavior and, and put the, the people who aren't willing to do these things to the side, and God would just show favor on these people. This goes back 2,000 years. These people believed that the reason why God gave us these rules is not because it was for a benefit. He, they believed that God gave us these rules so that he could weed out the people who are good and who are not good. Consequently, uh, and strange enough, um, they believed that the Pharisees, Pharisees believed that they were actually on the good side of God. But when we read the scriptures, we find out that the Pharisees were the people that Jesus primarily had the problems with. I mean, they're like, Pharisees, you totally got it wrong. Sinners and tax collectors, welcome to my kingdom, right? So it's kind of weird how these people thought that they were on the right side of God, but that's what they believed. They believed that if we think that God gave us these rules because God is a God that likes to weed people out, show favor on certain groups of people, not show favor on other people, curse certain people, reward certain people. And because they believed God was like that, they started acting like that. They looked around looking for problems with people. Ah, I see a sin in your life. You're cursed. Oh, you follow that rule really well. You're in my group. You out, you in, you out. And they just became people who just showed favoritism towards certain people that, you know, that happened to agree with what they believed in. But who is God? Why did God give us these rules? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe this. Followers of Jesus understand that rules exist because he loves us. Why did God give us these rules? It's because he loves us. Um, this past uh, week or two, um, my mom is like, hey, you need to come back to your, you know, where you grew up, their home, and you need to clean out, clean out your room because I guess I still had stuff there. And I found these long, like, big panoramic pictures from high school, and, and back then I used to keep all my letters, and I was uh, looking through all my letters, you know, and... Strange enough, my wife wants to read all my letters from my ex-girlfriend, so <laughs> <coughs> she'll tell you stories. Like, you know those moments when she's reading it out loud and your palms get sweaty, you're like, what did is, what is she write in that letter? I hope it's nothing. <laughs> Anyways, um, but there are pictures in there too, and there are pictures of me in high school, and I see myself in the mirror, and I realize I look very different, okay? And the reason is because you guys heard of the freshman 15? Well, for me, it was a freshman 40, and, and, and this is why, okay? Growing up... <laughs> I know. Um, growing up, um, my, in my family, my parents had dietary laws. That's the best way I could put it. They would say, you have to eat your salad, you have to eat your vegetables, don't eat too much of this, don't eat too much of that. You can only have sodas on special occasions. You know, like, they had all these rules for me to live by, right? And I, I just, like, even the foods, especially the foods I didn't like to eat, turns out there was the most healthy ones, and it's just like, it's like the worst thought in the world, right, is that the things that are good for you actually taste bad. The things that taste good are actually bad for you. I wish it was switched around. Anyways, um, right, and so as soon as I got, to, got into college, I was living by myself, and it's like food galore, like eat whatever you want, as much as you want, because it was all, like, you know, self-service. I tell you, I had, um, what, what did I drink in? Um, I think I had root beer. I had root beer almost every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, <laughs> Back when I was at UCLA, so this is like a few years ago. <laughs> no, no, I think it's 20 years ago now. Um, um, 
they have this place called Puzzles, and that's for late-night eaters. And we would go there, and I would get these big burritos with curly fries every single night, okay? And it was so good. And I didn't think about if it was good for me or not. But, man, I gained so much weight, so much weight. And we will always joke about this freshman 15, and I'll be in the corner thinking, <laughs> like, more like 40, dude, you know? <laughs> and, okay, and, and, and that wasn't it, okay? That wasn't the only thing. Like, my parents also had behavioral laws, right? They would tell me things like, when this happens, you need to react this way. When this happens, you have to do it this way. And all this time, I thought I was being suppressed. Like, your mom, dad, your rules exist to take away my fun. I want to live my life the way I want to live. And you're actually telling me, oh, my parents also had fashion laws. You can't wear a denim jacket with a denim jean. Like, you can't do that, Cots. I'm like, why not? They're both comfortable, you know? <laughs> right? And they'll tell me things like, this is not right. You know, when you go to a funeral, don't wear a t-shirt. You're like, wear a button-up shirt or something. Don't wear bright colors. Wear black. You know, like, they'll have these rules for me. And I couldn't wait to break free from it and express, you know, it's all about self-expression. I want to express myself. Who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to wear to a funeral, <laughs> right? And, and I couldn't wait to break free from this. And college was that time. I was able to break free from all these rules. And I always believed that my parents gave me these rules to ruin my fun, to keep me from expressing myself. They're evil, you know? <laughs> but then after, you know, 40 pounds later, you know, um, <laughs> being yelled at a few funerals, you know? <laughs> no, I never got yelled at a funeral. Um, but people did make fun of me at a funeral once. It's like, what are you wearing? <laughs> um, um, after being, getting in a few fights for not behaving properly to certain situations, I realized that the reason my parents gave me these rules, these quote-unquote laws, was because they loved me. They gave me these rules and these certain tips for how to live my life because they cared about my future. Now, today we look back at the Old Testament rules and say that seems really strange, but in that culture when it was given, it was revolutionary. It was asking people to take a step up to becoming a better human being than they were before. If you're, you know, I've heard people say, Old Testament laws always put down women. It's like, no, that's not true. Women were treated so bad Okay, and whatever the Old Testament said about women was actually a step. From today, it looks like it's a step down. From back then, it was a huge step up. If you actually look at the evolution of how women are treated in the Bible, they're always one step ahead of the culture that they lived in. The way that people treated slaves, you're like, oh, the Old Testament talks about slavery. Yeah, it does talk about slavery. Have you read the book of Exodus? It's about a group of people that God is trying to rescue from slavery. If you're poor and you have nothing to eat, the fact that Jesus is walking through the grain field and they were able to eat certain things is because of the book of Deuteronomy. Because the, the God in the Old Testament gave us rules so that systemi systemically we could take care of the poor in our day-to-day -day lives. Like, there's a lot of laws in the Old Testament to us that seems kind of like archaic, but back in those days, it was a love letter from God. They're like, I can't believe that God would care about the poor. The fact that you want to take care of, of, of widows and orphans that came from the book of Leviticus, right? And so they might not word it the same way we do it, but, you know, like if you're sick, if you're in the hospital, if you, if you need help, and your neighbor is supposed to, you know, you're like, I wish somebody would come into my house and take care of me. There are laws about that in the Old Testament. It, God gave us these rules because he loves us. And so the Pharisees and the followers of Jesus, they both come from a different place. One side says, God gave us these rules so that he could weed out the weak and keep the strong so he could show favor on the people who are able to follow these rules. Christians, these people who follow Jesus, realize God gave us these rules because he loves us. On a Saturday, are we supposed to rest? Yes, God wants you to rest. God wants you to have a, 
Good answer, Ricky. Yeah, he wants us to, to you know, relax and, and so that we can have a longer life, that we could enjoy life. You know, instead of just working, 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 we can actually enjoy life. But if there's somebody in need, a friend is like, Kotz, I need help. Can you just listen to my story? I'm not going to say, sorry, dude, it's my Sabbath, and God's going to strike me down if I don't take this day off. No, no. It's like, no, a friend is in need, and, you know, God is love. I'm going to go love on this person, right? And so we have to understand that the difference between these two is that we understand that, that every act that God, okay, every act of God is intentionally moving everything towards heaven on earth. Everything that God has called us to do, every way that we should be interpreting scripture is from this perspective, that everything that he's called us to do is a nudge for us to move one step closer to experiencing his kingdom here on this, on this earth that we're living on right now. So it's not what the law says, because it turns out two people could read the same law and interpret it differently. <laughs> One person would end up persecuting a whole group of people, and the other side would, you know, right? It's a matter of who do you believe God is? Why did God give us these rules? If you could answer that question in a healthy way, then the interpretation of the laws will take care of itself. And so what I want you to know is this. As followers, people who follow Jesus, we have to know that everything that God is doing has to... St- our interpretation of what God is doing has to start from a place that we believe that God is good, that God wants the best for us, that God wants, to experience, wants us to experience heaven on earth. Because if we don't start from that point right there, then we're not followers of Jesus. We're just a bunch of people who are looking at a bunch of rules, waiting to separate a bunch of people between people who are worthy enough to follow God's rules and people who aren't. And that's not what God, that's not why Jesus came on this earth to do. He didn't come here to separate us. He came here to unify us. Amen? All right, let's pray.